Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our Protect Our Province COVID-19 briefing for Wednesday, December 15th, 2021. We are live streaming from the traditional and ancestral territory of many peoples. We are grateful to live and work in Alberta, a province on the traditional territory of 48 different First Nations and the unceded homeland of the Métis Nation. Today's conversation is being shared in ASL. To ensure access to completely accurate information, closed captioning will be uploaded after the live stream is complete. This conversation for the public is being shared live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. The Protect Our Province COVID-19 briefing is a regular panel of doctors and experts. We will endeavour to bring you timely, accurate updates on the COVID-19 situation in Alberta and take questions from the public and the media. We have collectively gathered here as concerned Albertans, attempting to ensure that everyone in the province has access to as much information concerning COVID-19 in Alberta as possible. As always, we will start things off with an update on the COVID-19 situation in our province. And joining us with today's update on COVID-19 in Alberta, here is Dr. Vipond. Dr. Vipond. Hey, everybody. Um, so it's been a while since we've run the numbers, a couple of weeks. So um, I'll do a little bit of editorializing as we, we run them. If you could throw the slideshow up, Chad, uh, we'll know what's going on. So today we have an increase in our numbers. Um, and this is the, if I'm not mistaken, the fifth day in a row we've had increases. And so we had an 18.1% increase um, to five, 456. Um, last Tuesday it was 386. So that's that's quite a jump at this point. And also worth remembering that the majority of these numbers are Delta and not Omicron. So we're seeing rising cases um, despite the fact that Omicron hasn't really reared its head yet today, um, uh, this point in the wave. So this is still the Delta wave, not the Omicron wave. Um, the seven-day average is now at 306. That's up from 304 last week, only a 0.7% rise. But this is the first time I've seen a rise in the seven-day average in, in quite a while. We also have a concerning increase. Um, so you can go to the next slide, please. Actually, there's a couple of slides. That, there you can really see. Go back one. Yeah, you can really see that plateauing of the numbers. And even if you squint, even without a seven-day average line, you can see how the last week has been a slightly higher than the week before. Next slide, please. So uh, this is also concerning. We, we actually had a nice drop in our hospital or in our positivity um, up until the last couple days where it's been starting to increase. Um, and so our positivity today is 4.49 and last week was 3.68. Next slide, please. Hospitalizations, as everybody knows, the hospitalization numbers get revised, but for what it's worth, um, we had a drop of seven from 298 to 291 in our inpatient numbers. And then our, our ICU, wow, look how flat that is, uh, a one increase from 70 to 71 um, in, in, in the last 24 hours. So super flat ICU cases. I also overheard that uh, Premier Kenny today say our ICU numbers were at 60. So he's off by a, 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 a almost a dozen there. Next slide, please. These are our, uh, our death curves for the third, fourth, uh, sorry, second, third, and fourth wave. And you can see how the fourth wave is much more analogous to the second wave than the third wave. Another three added today, all, all seniors above the age of 70. Um, I don't have the PEDS admits um, today. I just didn't have time to run those, so I'm afraid I, I can't share that. Normally, I, I, I do that on, on my Twitter post, but I, I won't be able to do that until later tonight. Next slide, please. These are the, speaking of kids, just really important to, to show how this is the, the um, elementary school wave, for lack of a better term. Look at uh, that sustained elevation in the 5 to 11s over the other age ranges. These are cases per 100,000, so rates of cases. Next slide, please. This is the, um, the Omicron slide, up another 10 to 70. Um, two days ago was 30. So we were seeing doublings of uh, 1.5 to 3 days in other countries. Well, guess what? We've gone from 30 to 70 in two days, in 48 hours. So we are consistent with other jurisdictions, and this is not reassuring. Um, this means that Omicron is is uh, is going to be 
a mess and I'm sure the panel will get into it uh, later later in this hour but um, and especially Dr. Methani I think will be um, uh, parceling out the the um, policies that were announced today but I'm not reassured that uh, we're going to win uh, with the policies announced today. Next slide please. Let's make this big. Um, these are slides that were made for us by Goja Gasparovic. She was unable to attend. Um, we've had this um, statement that's been going through both the media and social media that Omicron is milder than previous um, previous uh, variants. And I think it's really important to understand that a more transmissible virus that happens to be less lethal will still cause more deaths because of exponential growth. We're, our brains just aren't equipped to, equipped to understand exponential growth. Um, so if it is two times more um, transmissible, it will cause so many more deaths than one half the lethality. So that's why um, then, then double the lethality. So twice as transmissible is much more dangerous than twice as, as deadly. And next slide, please. The current uh, R value that we're seeing from Ontario, and Dr. Zeltman can, can speak to this, is 3.8. And 3.8 is higher, and that's a transmissible rate with mitigation measures in place. Um, so that RT value is actually higher than the innate R value, R naught value of the original variant. And that's kind of complicated language, but what it, what it says is that even with all the measures in place, vaccines, physical distancing, um, behavior changes, masking, it is still racing up there much faster um, than the original variant would have done without any mitigation measures. And we're looking at, you know, three, 4,000 cases per day by early January. And at that rate, we are going to, um, even with a less lethal, less dangerous variant, we are going to overwhelm our system. So that's it for the slideshow. Uh, just a couple of, of notes before uh, I leave you to the panel and um, I have to go to work. Um, just want to point out that Protect Our Province Quebec has its first panel today. Uh, it's super exciting to see them join. And um, Quebec is, is kind of in a situation um, like Alberta is that they're, they're, they're not really treating Omicron um, with the kid gloves that it needs to uh, going into the holiday season. So it's really exciting to hear some of the voices um, that will be there, including Lisa Antoni and Stephen Bilodeau, um, people that I know through uh, the mask work that I've been doing and, um, and one thing that may not be mentioned by our panel today um, and was certainly um, missed in our uh, Premier's briefing uh, this morning is that COVID is airborne, masking is really important, a well-fitted mask is essential, and uh, I'm going to be walking into an emergency room in a couple minutes where the vast majority of our staff are still wearing surgical masks, masks because that's what they're being told to wear. Um, and uh, and, and with Omicron's transmissibility, I, I fear for even our double and triple vaxxed healthcare workers, um, we need to be protecting ourselves, protecting our patients. And the way to do that is through uh, respirator masks. And I hope you and the public will also take that to heart because that's the current recommendations by the uh, Public Health Agency of Canada. That is it, I'm signing off. Um, thanks so much, everybody. And uh, looking forward to hearing the panel. Thank you very much, Dr. Vipond. Before we dive into our conversation, I would like to invite Dr. Bakshi up to join me. Dr. Bakshi, a member of our Protect Our Province Coalition, has agreed to join me as I embark on a different kind of camera test that I'm used to, an on-camera rapid COVID-19 test. Thank you so much. I think I'm ready. Okay, wonderful. I feel like I need to like be like our province and be really loud about my... Yeah, so um, I guess I'll walk through everybody through what the rapid test would be like. I think we're going to be using the Abbott test, Michelle, if I'm correct. Okay. Yes. 
So important thing that one of the things that Michelle did that I think is just really, it may seem obvious, but hand hygiene is absolutely essential. You want to make sure that you've got uh, a great setup, you've got your hands clean, and you want to make sure that you've got enough room on a kitchen counter or a table where you can have everything set up. Um, so the first thing, maybe we can show some of the pieces of the actual um, testing supply kit that you're going to get. So you're going to get a small tube, um, which is what we're going to put reagent in. Um, then you're going to see the reagent, which looks like a little bit of a, a eye, eye dropper that you might put in your eyes. Please don't put this in your eyes. Um, then you're going to have the swab, which comes packaged. And then you're going to have the actual uh, testing uh, where we're going to be um, placing the drops in uh, to, to see what the test is. So what we're going to first do is we're going to take the tube and we are going to prepare it the reagent. Now, you may not be able to see it on here, but there is a small little line at the bottom. Uh, yeah, there you can see right at the bottom. Uh, that is where you're going to drop a reagent into. Now, you want to be careful because you obviously don't want to waste reagent. It's this very precious reagent. But you're going to drop uh, gently into that tube right till you get to the line uh, right at the bottom of that tube. And that is your reagent. Once that is ready, uh, it may, you may be given a small little stand to put that in so that you don't have to try to do everything with two hands. Uh, and there we go. So we're going to put that into the stand and we're going to set that aside. Next, we are going to, you can wash your hands again if you'd like, um, because we're going to be doing a swab at this point. Now, if you have somebody that can help you, certainly they can swab for you, but you should be able to do this on your own. If you're a little queasy about sticking something up your nose, certainly get somebody to help you. Uh, we're going to now open the swab. I always recommend for people to have a Kleenex nearby if you need, just in case you get a lot of um, boogers that come out with that. Um, and you're going to open up that swab. And the way these tests work is that we're actually going to be swabbing both nostrils. So as we take that swab out, what we're going to do is we're going to tilt our head back. Um, and Michelle will show you right there. You're going to tilt your head back slightly. And you're going to put the swab into one nostril first and swab uh, and turn it around about four or five times. Uh, you want to get it in pretty deep. Um, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. And once you're done with one side, you're going to repeat the same thing on the other side. Okay, and then once you're done with that, you're good, and you can wipe your nose if you need to with the cleaners. You're going to go back to your tube that you have set up, and you're going to insert uh, the swab into the tube, and you're going to try to get it to the bottom where the reagent is and swish it around a couple of times. The, the package usually says about five times. And once that's swished around, you're going to leave the swab in there, and you'll notice on the swab there's a little bit of a notch at the top that helps you perforate and, and cut it off. Um, so once that's perforated off, you should have just the swab in the tube and they provide you with a blue cap. So you wanna put that blue cap on top and seal the tube. There we go. Okay, so now you've got your sample ready. So you can put that back in the stand and now you want to open up your testing kit. I'll have Michelle just kind of show what the testing kit looks like. There you go. So you're going to notice a couple of markings on there. You're going to see on the far, on your uh, right, you're going to see five drops. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. And then you're going to see a C and a T. The C is the control. And so once we put our sample and we drop our sample in there, we want to make sure that we see the control line. If you don't see the control line show up, then there is something wrong with that test and it's defective. And so we don't want to trust that then. So everybody who tests should have a C line that shows up. The T is will show up if you are positive. And so much like a pregnancy test, even the faintest line would mean that you're positive. And if it's positive, we would recommend that you go and get a PCR test for confirmation. So now what we're going to do is we're going to take our tube and we're going to open up the, the end of it, the white lid, and we are going to drop five drops into that area uh, to the right that shows the five drops there. So one, two, three, 
four, five. Perfect. And what's going to happen is that the fluid is going to go across the testing supply, the testing unit, and that control line should show up within about 30 seconds. It'll show up like a deep pink line. At this point, now the waiting begins, and the recommendation is to wait about 15 minutes to determine whether or not your test is going to be positive. Like I said, if you even have the faintest light line, that would indicate positivity, and we would recommend that you get a PCR test. Uh, I imagine the panel will talk a little bit about the effectiveness and the efficacy of a uh, rapid test that it is not foolproof but it is a great tool for us to use uh, especially if you're concerned about gatherings or going to see other family members you'll see that that liquid is migrating down that is completely normal uh, it will the whole thing will turn pink once it the whole thing is pink the control line will show up and then the background will be white again so that you'll be able to see the second line if you are positive and that's that so it's a very simple test um, certainly easy to do. It takes less than uh, two to three minutes to do and then 15 minutes to wait for the result. Thank you so very much, Dr. Bakshi. Um, I hope that this little segment of today's episode will be shared far and wide across the province, especially as we begin to do our own at-home rapid tests as announced by the province today. Um, I will hold the test back up either in 15 minutes or at some appropriate point in time in the show. And we will see what it looks like and what happened. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. It's lovely to Thank see you. you. Happy holidays. You too. So the holidays are in the air and as a has become my new expression, so is COVID-19. So with this being our last scheduled briefing for 2021, we're going to dedicate our time today on this, at this joyous point of the year for how we can prioritize safety while embracing celebrations and rituals and traditions that often occur during the month of December. I'm delighted and is frequently the case, honored to have two first-time briefing contributors with us today, um, Dr. Zoutman and Dr. Mathani. Um, Dr. Zoutman is an infectious disease specialist and professor of public health sciences at Queen's University at Kingston, and he has been working on outbreaks, epidemics, and pandemics over the last 35 years. Dr. Mathani is an emergency room doctor in Edmonton, working with both adult and pediatric patients. We are also joined today by a regular POP-AB contributor, Sarah Mackey, one of the three volunteers running the Vax, Alberta Vax Hunters. Their team has helped thousands of Albertans get vaccinated and does advocacy work around vaccine outreach, access, and education. She is joining us today to talk a bit about third doses in Alberta with criteria changes today and what I suspect will be a critical component of our happy holiday planning for all eligible Albertans. They say it is the season, season to be jolly, which I know for me personally feels a bit terrifying again this year. Um, and I, but I know that we've learned a lot since March of 2020. And so Dr. Zoutman and Dr. Mathani um, have both prepared some excellent tips on the layers that are needed for safe holidays this year. Um, so I open up the floor to both of you, whichever one of you would like to start us off today. Thanks so much for having us. Maybe I'll just start by summarizing um, the announcement today uh, for Alberta in particular. So um, as was alluded to by Dr. Vipond, uh, there were some new relaxations of restrictions that occurred today in Alberta. So uh, most notably, um, there has been a change in terms of the ability to gather indoors. So previously, prior to today, it was uh, no more than two households gathering together, together to a maximum of 10 people. That has now changed to um, uh, as many households uh, as you want, basically up to a maximum of 10 people. And unfortunately, that also includes both vaccinated and unvaccinated Albertans. So prior to this, again, it was anyone who was um, unvaccinated was not uh, permitted under the public health guidelines to gather indoors, but that has changed over the holidays. And that certainly is a big concern from my perspective. Um, the other big announcement today was the distribution of free rapid tests. So there are 500,000 um, kits that each contain five rapid tests that are going to be distributed to Albertans around the province. 
I am glad to see that there are free rapid tests being offered to Albertans, but of course, 500,000 kits is not going to be enough to cover every Albertan in the province. And so hopefully we can get some more as the holidays approach pretty rapidly. Um, there was a vaccine announcement as well, but I'll let Sarah kind of talk about the booster announcement a bit more in detail. One of the things that I wanted to chat with in particular was just how to keep safe over the holidays in the context of new rules that have been put in place in Alberta. So first and foremost, I do want to reiterate um, for everybody to really just make smart choices. Just because we have the ability to gather with up to nine friends uh, from different households doesn't mean that we should. Uh, just because we are now allowed to gather indoors with unvaccinated people does not mean we should either. So I think common sense is really, really important here. My recommendation would be to keep groups as small as possible, uh, at most two to three households together. Uh, and again, gathering uh, no more than 10 people indoors. And then there are a few things that can be done just to help mitigate the risk of those gatherings that take place. So of course, anyone who's eligible to be vaccinated should be vaccinated. Um, so anyone over the age of, uh, of five now in Alberta uh, should be vaccinated and, and um, if they are attending the indoor gathering. Uh, the rapid test I'm going to come back to because I do just want to talk about other general mitigation measures just now that we are, you know, firmly established. We've known this for a long time that COVID is airborne, but there are lots of things that we can do to increase our safety indoors, uh, knowing that COVID is airborne. So first and foremost, of, of course, vaccination. Second being ventilation. So if you don't already have a CO2 monitor, that's a good tool to have uh, with you just to kind of keep an eye on the levels of, of CO2 um, that are in the room to kind of get a sense of how well ventilated the space is. When you do have people in your home, take some time um, every 15, 20 minutes just to open a window to kind of improve air airflow and, and to increase ventilation in the area. Even if it's even if it's cold, uh, it is going to uh, be for hopefully a brief period of time frequently and um, improve the safety of the situation. Um, the other thing is the rapid swabs. So thankfully, we are getting um, rapid swabs throughout the province uh, and Michelle and Dr. Bakshi so uh, eloquently uh, demonstrated for that, uh, demonstrated those for us earlier, um, this, uh, this briefing. The one caution that I want to have is that rapid swabs should be considered a tool in the toolbox of risk mitigation measures that we already have in place. They should not be used in isolation. Um, so if it's if it's a situation where um, you're not following the rules and gathering in a group of more than 10 people, um, if it's a situation uh, where you have symptoms and then you're using a rapid swab um, to, to try to go to that Christmas party, that's, that's really not an appropriate use of the rapid swab. The idea is that in the context of, you know, gathering indoors within the rules, um, being around other vaccinated individuals, keeping your group small, that this rapid test is an added tool to keep everybody safe. And so my recommendation in terms of how to use the rapid swabs is to uh, rapid swab uh, yourself and your family members before you're meeting with another cohort of people. Uh, the ideal time frame would be just before your meeting. So let's say I'm going to see uh, my parents at their home. Right before I leave, leave my home, my four family members would rapid swab. We'd wait the 15 minutes. If we're all negative and we're all asymptomatic and feeling well, then we would go and visit with my parents. Uh, they would do the same thing just before we arrived to their house. And then the idea is that that's an extra added layer of protection for our gathering. The other thing to keep in mind is when you are using rapid tests, um, any, any sort of situation can, can change the validity of that test. So if I see my parents and then there's a potential risk ex or an exposure that happens at that time, and then I then go to my friend's house the next day, I should be rapid swabbing again, and we should all be rapid swabbing again before I see another person indoors. Ideally, because there is a time lag or a time delay between potential contraction of COVID and then uh, the conversion of the rapid swab to being positive or developing symptoms, I would recommend waiting two to three days between gatherings just to allow um, that time to uh, develop if you did uh, happen to be unlucky enough to contract COVID with the previous, uh, previous gathering. The one downside of rapid tests that I do really wanna make sure everybody knows about is the, the potential false negative rate. So these rapid tests work um, much better in patients who are symptomatic. So if you do have symptoms and you, and you have a rapid swab, there must, uh, the, the positive predictive value or the, or the true positive rate um, is quite reliable. Unfortunately, uh, one of the pitfalls of these tests is that they can have false negatives. So what that means is someone who might be asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic 
could have a falsely negative test, even though they truly are positive for COVID-19. Um, you know, and that's why it's important to keep in mind that this should be an added tool to the other risk mitigation measures that we're using, not just a, uh, not just solely relying on these rapid tests. Um, and then also making sure that we're being safe and um, and using common sense in our in our interaction. So rapid swabbing before you see any new cohorts, and trying to space out those visits by several days just to to keep everybody safe. So I'll pass the um, pass the uh, mic on to Dr. Zutman, and and um, I'm interested to hear what he has to say as well. Thank you. Thanks very much, Shazma. Uh, great to be here. I'm here in uh, Kingston, Ontario. Right now we have the uh, notoriety being the hotspot of COVID and likely Omicron for the whole country right now. Uh, Kingston has been very quiet with COVID throughout. We've been an oasis with very little. Well, the party's over, folks. Um, we are uh, knee deep in, and then some, in, in COVID cases throughout our city uh, with uh, uh, great concern. And, and, and we don't know the exact proportion of, of, of Omicron, but it's in the 30, 40% range. And we know that by Christmas time, It'll be 100%. Um, however, it is the Christmas season. And so um, I'd like to talk a little bit about what you can give as, as, as gifts during the COVID Christmas season. What can you give as gifts that'll help to keep everybody safer uh, during uh, the holiday uh, season? Um, the uh, first thing is uh, give the gift of vaccine. Get yourself vaccinated. It's a selfish gift, but you're doing it for yourself. But in fact, you're doing it for others as well. Because if you get your first, your second, and particularly now your third dose of vaccine, uh, you're going to protect yourself significantly, even against Omicron. And you're going to protect others around you as well. And particularly now we can get our children vaccinated. Uh, singularly, the most important thing that we can do, because these vaccines, having been developed so rapidly and so successfully, are really a gift to us. So let's spread the, that gift around uh, liberally and, and, and get vaccinated because uh, it is the single most important thing that will protect us. The effectiveness against Omicron is still to be calculated. It's looking you know, in the 70, 80% range against the symptomatic disease, but it looks like protecting people from getting super sick, ending up in ICU or in hospital is, is gonna be much higher as it has been throughout with all of the uh, strains that we've seen so far. So uh, here's hoping it holds up for Omicron as well. The second gift you can give um, is an N95 respirator. That's a that's a mask that is a special kind of mask that is very tight fitting around your nose and your mouth and your cheeks and your chin and is a, a high filtering efficiency. They have straps that go around your head and uh, they are available in Canada in great abundance. When we started out a year ago, we, we didn't have them. Uh, now we do have them and uh, they're in great abundance made in Canada. So I'd encourage you to pick a Canadian brand of uh, N95 respirators. We call them respirators. They're just, a, that's just a fancy name for a mask. that's tight fitting. Uh, they're not mechanical. They're just like a mask. Uh, if you can get some for yourself, give some to your friends and wear them when you're inside in, in uh, public spaces, when there's uh, crowds when, and uh, you're at risk. Um, at work and wherever uh, is a good idea because they are very, very efficient and much better than the cloth masks. Cloth masks are great because you can customize them and you can put logos on them and have pretty colors. Unfortunately, their filtering efficiency, you know, is not as nearly as high as, as a procedure or surgical mask, the blue ones you've been seeing, but those ones also leak around the sides, around your face and nose. And so you really now have to go to the N95 masks. And I encourage you to give those out liberally. You can buy them by the case. Um, the other third thing is uh, room air purifiers make wonderful gifts. Uh, these are boxes that have a fan in them. They have HEPA filters, special filters. There's many different brands. You have to get the right size for your room though. So you have to figure out, you have to pull out that grade 10 map and figure out the length, the width and the height of the room and the volume of the room, and then figure out how much of an air purifier, what size you need. If you look on the box, it'll have some numbers. One of the numbers is the clean air delivery rate. And that's a number that simply tells you how much air it can push through. And that equals the volume that you've calculated, uh, you'll be okay. The reason for these last two gifts, the N95 respirators and the air purifiers is simply because this virus, this COVID virus is airborne. It floats through the air like smoke, 
and stays in the air for a prolonged period of time on very small particles, all too small to see with the naked eye. And that means it can float around in a room and stay buoyant and be inhaled by the next person, even after the person that was infectious left the room. Sort of like cigarette smoke. Remember when you were a teenager and you were smoking in the basement and you didn't want your mom to know and you were opening the windows and waving your arms, but she came down and she could tell, she could smell it. This is the same kind of thing. So this virus is, is airborne. The evidence is, is incontrovertible and uh, uh, we really need to act like it is. Our chief public health officer for Canada, Dr. Teresa Tam has said so, and she's right. And we need to follow her advice and, and act accordingly. So N95 masks, air purifiers, if you can up your air flow where you work to get to six air exchanges per hour, ask about that. That's a good idea. Cracking a window, now, you know, in Canada and Alberta, that's the tricky thing to do in January. But if you can crack windows, the weather allows it, makes a big difference. A hospital in Scotland proved that not that long ago. The fourth gift are those rapid antigen tests that we just saw. They're, they fit in the stocking. They're great. Uh, and uh, you've learned how to use them, and I won't repeat them. But I highly recommend. Uh, the rapid antigen test is a good way to know if you're infectious and you might be shedding virus. And uh, lastly, the gift you don't want to give, just like you don't want to give somebody a lump of coal, is don't bring a crowd. Don't, don't bring a whole pile of people into a crowded space and don't walk into a space with a whole bunch of people because it's just a risk. And uh, your rules are 10 hours in Ontario down to five, and uh, that's about as strict as I think you can get. And we are seeing capacity limits being imposed now in Kingston in the stores and all of that because we're just so intensely infected with this virus. Omicron is going to overtake us very soon. And of course, I got to say this, clean your hands. Uh, Omicron uh, doesn't like it when you clean your hands. So keep doing that as well. Thanks very much. Thank you both very much. I know we're going to go into detail a little bit deeper on all of those tips um, as we go through our conversation today because we are getting questions left, right, and center, which is absolutely delightful. I'm going to bring um, Sarah Mackey back into the conversation and just ask um, for a quick update on what the province announced today regarding gift number one on Dr. Zoutman's list, giving yourself a vaccine. So as we have been <clears throat> advocating for and hoping for, um, the province expanded booster access today. Um, we were hoping that they were going to open it up a little more widely, but we do know that there's limited doses on hand at the moment. We're expecting another delivery um, in two weeks. So I think at that point is when we're gonna see more extensive expanding. But as of this morning, um, anyone 50 and older um, is eligible for a booster shot if you are six months after your second dose. Anyone 18 and up who is Indigenous is eligible for a booster shot. All healthcare workers, uh, regardless of age, are now eligible if they are six months past their second dose. Um, and then continuing with the previous um, additional areas, a uh, couple of immunocompromised conditions um, that are eligible for boosters. So the way that it's currently working with the boosters, it's all booked through the, um, the central booking system through uh, bookvaccine.alberta.ca, I think. And it's all centralized now. And so what's challenging about that is that there are pharmacies that are sort of booking through the system, but if they don't fill all their spots, they're, um, they're sort of having to try to think, you know, fill all their spots so they're not wasting any doses. We're trying to find out, um, prior to today, the guidance that pharmacies were given was that they could call anybody 50 to 59 um, at the end of the day if they had extra doses and that's like the 50 to 59 was a designated wait lists. We're waiting, they haven't sent out the new guidance for pharmacies yet for what they can do at the end of the day. So we're asking people not to overwhelm pharmacies right now. Pharmacies did not get told by the province before this announcement this morning that the expansion was coming. So they're getting this news by people calling in and saying, I want a booster, I want a booster. So the pharmacists are also fielding the calls about how do I get my rapid tests? Are you going to have the rapid tests? So please don't rush to phone your pharmacies right now. They're very tired. They've had a very long year. Um, we're trying to find out what that guidance is going to be um, around the wastage lists. Um, keep an eye on the ABVAX Twitter account um, and I'll get um, the POP Twitter account to tweet it out as well once we have an update on that. We're hoping to see that they're saying, okay, the next group down can, can go on a wait list and we can avoid wastage that way. 
But the thing that you can do that's most helpful right now is reach out to everybody in your life who is 50 or older or 18 or older if they are Indigenous and help them book a booster shot because we want to be maximizing our speed, our capacity, every possible booster dose that we can be giving, we need to be giving right now. Um, and there's a lot of folks who sort of haven't been keeping up. Things are changing so rapidly. There's a new booking system since they booked their last shot and they kind of might have gotten overwhelmed. It's a little bit confusing. Just reach out and help the people in your life who are eligible. Make sure they've got that booster shot. We've still got 10 days before Christmas. You know, that's going to give them um, a bit of time to build up a bit more of that, that booster immunity. And so just make sure that everybody that you're going to be seeing or not seeing, especially if they're immunocompromised, um, make sure that they know how to book a booster, that they've been able to book a booster, see if there are things you can do to help them. Um, see if anybody needs help getting their kids booked for a vaccine. We've talked about that before on um, Protect Our Province, but just making sure that everybody knows how the process for getting kids booked um, and what that's going to look like as well. Uh, just making sure that everybody knows this eligibility change has happened because it's really overwhelming to try to keep track of who's eligible where and when and what you need. And I think you know, boosters sort of got into the mix a couple of weeks ago um, and people weren't paying close attention then. And I think people are starting to get the Omicron message now. And so just making sure that they know that if they're eligible, how they can book and help them get booked. Thank you, Sarah. And I would love to add, I was someone who was eligible for my third dose um, a few months ago. Um, and I'm a person who knows things. I'm a lay person, but I'm a person who pays attention and knows things. Um, and I needed help booking my new round because of all of those changes. I, as a human, would have been lost if Sarah hadn't talked me through how to set up that new account, how to wait for a verification code, and all of that jazz. So in addition to reaching out to people to see if they need help, make sure you reach out as well if you need some assistance because it it was, it was complicated. And I had booked myself and my not so tiny humans over the um, first two dose phases with zero troubles. And the change was a little bit much for my brain to be able to deal with. So no self-judgment if you, like me, need to phone a friend to, <laughs> to make that happen for you. Um, our, our Twitter handles in my name under, under me here. Um, our DMs are open. If you need help, we are happy. And if you don't have Twitter... Um, our email is vaxhunterab at gmail.com. You can find us there. Thank you so much. And a question that I have that's sort of a, I guess, just sort of how Michelle's brain works combined with a question that I've seen come up in our chat a couple times. Booster, third dose. What, what do we call it? What What is it? Dr. Mathani, Dr. Zellman? Yeah, I'm going to let the medical people handle that one because <laughs> I find that confusing also. And I stay out of that argument entirely. Oh, you are muted, Dr. Mathani. I'm going to unmute you. Oh, you unmuted yourself, Thank but I'm you. going to unmute Dr. Zellman. Um, I think the clearest way to say it is just to say third dose. Um, booster can be yeah. confusing. Yeah, we're, we're past booster. It's third dose. Yeah, absolutely. It's a three-dose regimen now for this, for this vaccine. Absolutely, yeah. My form for my third dose had a checkbox for a fourth dose. So in my head, I've just accepted that I may need another one at yep. some point in time. And that way, if that happens, I will just be happy that I get to have yep. it and continue to stay safe as opposed to even, yeah, trying to categorize it. <laughs> well, we give lots of vaccines multiple times to kids, for example. This is not news. You know, this is not special. This is routine. Exactly. And even our influenza shots, right? We get them every year. So. Yeah. Um, Dr. Zoutman, one of the questions that I received pre the broadcast, actually, which I think um, was directed towards you, was around sort of how you have been exploring the transmission of SARS-CoV-2 since the start of the pandemic. And as I understand it, you embraced airborne transmission very, very early on. And so I received a couple of questions around what led to your recognition of that so early on, as well as why do you think we are still having this debate. Um, when there is so much science supporting airborne transmission, why are we still seeing so much, for lack of a better word, wishy-washy or bet hedging of public health messaging? Well, this has been a very central issue in the infection control world where I hang out. And uh, it is uh, very important. I didn't believe that these viruses were gonna be airborne when we started out. I honestly didn't. And I, what changed my mind were a number of studies that have come out, have been done not by medical people, but by physicists and chemists who study what floats in the air and who sometimes call themselves aerobiologists. I love that type. Um, and they've been convincing that this virus is in the air, 
that it stays there for a long time, that it's on you know very small little droplets that you can't see, and that we can inhale it and get infected that way. Um, we know a lot of things what to do about that. We know air purifiers with HEPA filters were cleared out. We know that if we open the windows, we can blow it out. And we know that if we have uh, air handling in our building or room that's you know getting at least six total air exchanges per hour, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll suck it out. Uh, but uh, this disease, is, the evidence is now incontrovertible. One of the best evidence is you put animals who once an infected animal, like a ferret, put another ferret in another cage in another lab with a big wall between them and just put a duct. The other ferret gets it from the other one through the duct work. Tells you this, this disease is airborne. It's, it's uh, not up for debate. We don't have all the answers. You know, we don't have all the answers, but in the face of a virulent disease that makes people sick or can kill you, I hedge my bets on being extra cautious. And that's why I'm recommending personally and personally using N95 masks. Dr. Mathani, Sarah, any thoughts that you would like to add to that? Um, and I am still, um, yeah, and just why why we're having so much trouble moving this public health messaging to a place that is truly supported by the science. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question because um, I think a lot of it stems back to at the beginning of the pandemic when we were first learning about COVID, we didn't know very much about it, right? And so oftentimes, I, I think this can be applicable to any part of life, um, the initial the initial explanation for something is very hard to shake afterwards, right? And so um, I think the other thing that's important to note is that it um, there was a bit of a delay with with uh, kind of large health organizations like the CDC, the WHO, and now finally PHAC uh, getting on board. And I'm hoping that now that those large health organizations have uh, come out and, and said clearly that COVID is airborne, that that may help change the narrative going forward. Dr. Mathani, as an Alberta-based physician and Dr. Zoutman, as an as an Ontario-based physician who is currently in the epicenter. So I guess I want the two perspectives from that as well as, um, Sarah, I would love to hear from you on this as well. What are you both most sort of concerned about this holiday season or watching for? So yeah, Dr. Mathani, from that Alberta perspective, so just very much our regional epidemiology and Dr. Zoutman ahead of us in this potentially new wave what are some of those things that even in just the last, you know, five days as things have really taken off, we in Alberta should really be hearing? You know, I think the, um, the biggest threat right now is Omicron. So, um, you know, we're in a situation where we can see around the rest of the world how rapidly the cases are rising. And we're also now in a situation where we're opening up a bit more um, over the holidays with uh, specifically unvaccinated people getting together more regularly or more or being more able to do that. So my biggest concern is what the, the subsequent weeks after the holidays are going to look like, to be totally honest. We, we still we know that Omicron is more transmissible. We're still, we're still waiting for uh, more data on, on the severity of illness. Um, the, you know, the jury is still out on that, but I think that um, it's important to use the precautionary principle and, and do everything we can to protect ourselves. And my concern with the um, with the relaxation of measures uh, with Omicron in the background is that we are going to see a big spike of cases after the holidays like we did last year. Yeah, I agree with you completely, uh, Dr. Mathani. Uh, what I'm most worried about is very similar. I'm worried about everybody thinking everything's fine, it's just business as usual. We're going to go and do what we do all the time. Uh, the parking lots of the big box stores are going to be packed and there's full of people. And that's just a bad idea. Um, as much as it really blows to not be able to go out and go Christmas shopping and, and have a good time, uh, it's just too hazardous to, to be in crowded spaces. Uh, and we're going to pay a dear price. Remember, this Omicron is looking like it's mega more infectious than Delta, which was more infectious than Alpha. And so even we don't know how sick it's going to make people. There's some debate yet. Yeah, we just don't know. But it affects that many people. There's going to be a lot of harm done. Um, and that could affect our elderly who have suffered terribly. Uh, we've had a high, one of the highest mortalities in the world has, has been in Canada among elderly. And we can't let that happen again. So it's not business as usual, folks. Uh, Omicron is, is, is here. It's on its way. It's unavoidable. And we need to act and be ready. 
Sarah, any thoughts that you would like to add? I think that what's really challenging for people right now, um, sort of a lay, from a layperson perspective, um, is just sort of the burnout with the whole thing that people are really low on the capacity to like work themselves up to ki to keep doing everything, especially in the face of seeing you know business as usual um, out there. Um, and I think it's easy to say, well, this is all happening, so I'm just going to go along with it. There's not much point. But I think that, you know, much though I am very sick of being told that, you know, personal responsibility is our way out of this pandemic. I think in the absence of political responsibility, there's still a lot that we can do as individuals that will, you know, make us individually safer um, and in turn help um, on a societal level if we are making better decisions as individuals even though that shouldn't have to be our job to be doing this, there are things that we can be doing, you know, canceling those big events that you were going to go to make changing your plans. You know, um, both of the others were talking about the, the tools that you can use. And I think that one of the things that's really challenging for people is that a lot of what's out there is quite expensive to try to, 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 you know, make your house have better ventilation or filtration or whatever, you know, it's not feasible, especially this time of year for a lot of people, it's not necessarily going to be filtered. Uh, feasible to buy a HEPA filter or a CO2 monitor or both. Um, and I think that that can feel hard to sort of, you know, it's easy to say, well, I can't do anything. So what's the point? But um, I, I do have a CO2 monitor. I'm a big nerd. So I bought one. You can see it's just a little portable thing, but I'm not showing it to you because I want to, hang on, I'm going to turn off my light. Um, I don't want to show it to you because I'm like, oh, everybody should get one of these. I actually don't think if you're going to buy one thing, buy a HEPA filter rather than a CO2 monitor. But what I wanted to point out is that I, the other day I was home and my kids had just gone to bed and the furnace had been off for a while. Um, and so the CO2 was quite high in my house. And so I grabbed my monitor, this thing makes like little charts and stuff, it's great. And so first for half an hour, I turned on the fan on my, on my furnace. It wasn't like, I didn't turn the heat up, I didn't do anything, I just turned on the fan. And we've got a good filter in our furnace. We've got like the Merv 13, filter in our furnace, which is one thing you can do that's not as expensive as upgrade that furnace filter. So I just turned on the fan for half an hour and um, didn't change anything else. And it dropped 300 PPM in half an hour. And then I turned off the furnace fan and then I opened a window for half an hour and it dropped another 300 PPM. And so it feels like, oh, well, I don't have all these fancy tools or gadgets, but like turn on the, the furnace fan and open a window periodically. That makes a difference. It's not it's not all or nothing. You don't have to have the gadgets or there's nothing you can do. Like doing at layering those, you know, the whole Swiss cheese metaphor is about the layering, right? So turn on that, those fans, open those windows. I, the, the forecast is terrible for the next two weeks. So I know it's an unpleasant option, but like break out the ugly holiday sweaters or whatever you want to do, layer up, you know, start a fire in your fireplace, whatever you need to do. You don't need to have it open all the time, but just cycling that air through you know, if you can do the the HEPA filters and the the CO2 monitors and all that, that's great. But if you can't, there are still things that you can do. I had asked um, Connor Rizicki earlier this month about a couple of those things as well. And one of the conversations that we had um, led to me leaving my furnace fan on all the time now. I just have it set to on instead of auto, um, which, you know, is not necessarily going to assist my monthly bills for December, but um, does exactly what you said, where it does that dropping of the parts per million that are in the air and is less expensive than redoing my entire interior ventilation. What's really neat is a, a study was done in a hospital in Scotland where they had a ritual of opening up the windows every 15 minutes on some kind of on a schedule. Uh, and it gets cold there in Scotland, and uh, they did it, and the COVID rate that was in the hospital spreading dropped like crazy. It didn't go completely away, but it was impressive, and it cost nothing. And it's sweater season. That's right. Ear warmers and sweaters. Um, and I... I hope over the holidays we can continue to see a destigmatization of masking, especially as we transition more into those respirator masks, because I will still wear one when I go to my parents' house. I mean, I may take it off to have a cup of coffee, but we can open a window then and I can still put it back on. And so, I don't know, it's, um, I always think of how Canadians remove their shoes when they go into someone's home frequently, most people do. Um, 
I'm working to not remove my mask when doing too much visiting over the holiday season. We have way more questions than we have time for. So I'm going to throw a couple of quick ones out there just because there are so many coming in and I am exceptionally inspired. Um, I'm just reading through the list. There's a lot of questions around predictions. We did go over some of Dr. Gasparovich's scenarios in the beginning around what type of impact Omicron will have in the new year and whether or not, if possible, parents should be preparing to keep kids home post-holidays. Mm. Um, has anything been happening on that front in Ontario, Dr. Zentlin? I think we're going to hear very soon that you know my prediction is they will be closing schools early for Christmas. We're almost there anyway. Um, I know many parents have pulled the kids out. We've had so many schools in Kingston, 30 some schools that have you know, had outbreaks in Kingston, you know, small town. Uh, so uh, chances are we're going to have an extended Christmas holiday and then we'll have to figure out what we do from there. And it's unfortunate. We could have, we had the opportunity when COVID was low to uptick the air handling systems in our schools. Doesn't cost that much. And uh, we'd be able to, you know, have the schools that are much safer, but didn't do it. Can I just add one thing in there, um, just from a school safety standpoint? Uh, I, I just want to highly encourage all parents before their kids go back to school or daycare to please wrap it well them before they go back as well, especially yeah. if you've been visiting with family and friends over the holidays. Yeah. Um, just do that one last rapid swab, uh, you know, the, on the Monday morning before before you send your kid back to school or daycare, just to keep everybody safe. And on the rapid swab note, um, here is our control line with our negative test line. Um, yes, I was pleased about it. Um, combined with Sarah did mention to me that the brand that Albertans will be able to pick up from the pharmacies is different than the one that we performed on the show today, but the testing is similar process-wise. But when I get my hands on one of those Friday or Saturday, we will pop back on and record a quick video to put up with the actual kit that Albertans will have access to. The main difference is that um, the one that you use, I think, is it comes with the one big bottle of the reagent uh, because it's like the bulk pack. And then the ones that people will be getting, um, I believe the reagent is already portioned out. Yeah. So it's like an individual. So that's also easier. Th those ones with the mask kits, you kind of have to have one person does a little dripping ahead of time. And so this is a little bit easier with the ones that we'll be picking up. Sarah, you had a thought that you wanted to add to the conversation um, when I jumped in with rapid tests. I did, and now I have to remember what it was. What were we talking about before rapid tests? We were more than likely going to comment on the fact that as parents of tiny humans, we have been exceptionally disappointed by how much the tiny humans have suffered. <laughs> yes, thank you. Well done. You got me there. Um, there was actually a discussion at the EPSB meeting uh, board meeting yesterday about HEPA filters in school. Again, we have had this conversation over and over again. We have written our emails. We've made our calls. But... It does feel like this is a moment where some of the momentum is starting to shift a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the superintendent of EPSB said that he is having a meeting on Friday to discuss um, what that could look like and what it might involve. So something that people could do if they are looking for ways to advocate right now is contact your school board trustee and the superintendent of your school board and ask them to find a way to make HEPA filters happen in classrooms. Um, the province should be funding this, but have been not. And the federal government yesterday just announced that they're gonna have funding that can be used for ventilation in schools. So we need to get our school boards and our school admin working on that as fast as possible because one of the best things we can do over this break is um, improve the ventilation and filtration in classrooms. So advocate for that with your elected officials. And as we're on that topic of returning um, post-break, and we'd mentioned the tiny humans and rapid testing just before we go back, um, we did get a number of questions around the um, role and efficacy of the rapid testing. I know, Dr. Mathani, you had mentioned rapid testing just prior to leaving your home before embarking on an adventure with folks that um, you haven't seen in a while. Um, how else over the holidays? So, Dr. Zoutman, Dr. Mathani, if I pick up five tests for myself on Friday, I can pick up another two in five weeks. Or I can pick up another five in two weeks. If I could speak, that would be fantastic. How should I use them over the next two weeks? We'll pretend that I'm I'm our human example. 
So the, the current recommendation, um, I believe the way that the, the province had laid it out was to test yourself every 72 hours. And then those, that would kind of get you to the end of the two weeks and like one, one to spare. That's not how I would recommend using them myself. Um, I, um, because the idea is that there's a lot that can happen in a 72 hour window. So mm -hmm. what I would recommend doing is using them for when you're, when you're gathering. Um, if you're symptomatic, don't waste a rapid swab on that because you shouldn't be going anywhere anyway. And then you should go and get a PCR test to make sure that you don't have COVID. Um, what you should be doing or the way that I would recommend using the rapid swabs is using them for, um, for pre-contact pre with another individual who's not in your household. So that would be my recommendation in terms of how to use the rapid test, just to, to kind of, again, be that added layer of protection before you are going to try to gather uh, as safely as possible over the holidays. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that, you know, if you're, if you're out, if you're someone who's living like a hermit and, and not getting out very much, um, you know, the, the rapid tests aren't going to add a lot. But if you are, you know, intermittently seeing people, it'd be best, as Dr. Nathaniel says, use them just before. Uh, maybe share them with the person who's going to visit with you uh, would be the, the ideal way to do that to mitigate the risk. The test tells you whether you've got virus coming out of your nose, you know, and Michelle, you don't. Hurrah. Um, it's really good at detecting that, but as you go wait 72 hours, lots of things can happen in three days. I think a lot of that misconception too is because the vaccine passport system here has that 72 hour rapid test exemption people can take. People think that a rapid test result is useful for 72 hours. That was never really true, but it's particularly not true with Omicron, which is like no. people are testing negative on a rapid test one day and then the next day coming up positive. So just really, that's like a, a you are unlikely to infect someone in the next couple of hours test, not a you don't have COVID. So knock yourself out and go to five parties test. It's a mm -hmm. probably you're fine for a couple of hours. So, you know, everybody does that. It reduces your, your level. But like, don't think of it as a get out of jail free card for 72 hours, even though that is legally how it can be used. Um, if you get one of the well, professionally administered if, ones, if you get in, if you take the test at nine o'clock Monday morning and you get infected and exposed and you didn't know it, which is usually the case later on, on Monday, you're going to take five days before you have symptoms typically. And before you're going to have, you could have a positive test. Even if you test yourself on Thursday, it's still going to show up negative. You're not going to be positive until about Saturday. That's the problem. That's the fallacy. This is not a get out of jail card. I would love to pick up on that. What is the average window? So if I'm, you know, enacting my own personal responsibility and maybe there are a couple of different, you know, my family, my partner's family that we want to see over the holidays, is it advisable to wait five days in between the visit with my mother and the visit with their mother? That way I'm not crossing over with people. I think it's important to wait as long as possible. Um, so, you know, I really, I certainly wouldn't advise having like a visit on Monday and then another visit on Tuesday or like two visits within one day. Um, I would try to spread those visits out as much as possible just to give enough time for if you were exposed for symptoms to develop or for you to be in that kind of higher viral load pre-symptomatic period where that rapid test may show up positive. So really try to space things out as much as you can. Yeah. As we get ready to that, or as we get close to that five o'clock mark, um, I would love to get some exiting thoughts from all of you, some takeaways for every Albertan and or anyone else who is watching the program today about how they can help mitigate their personal risk this holiday season. Maybe we'll start with you, Dr. Zoutman, and then go over to Dr. Mathani and then over to Sarah. Okay. Well, you know, we have to be on the lookout for what Omicron is going to do. So stay tuned. And uh, but that the, the defenses against Omicron that we have today are the ones we've always had for over a year. So as I said, the 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 five Christmas gifts, you know, that that I mentioned, which were uh, getting a vaccine, getting rapid tests, N95 respirators, uh, air purifiers. Those are the sorts of things you know you want to do, and you want to avoid the crowds. And we've talked about staying, you know, apart for separating your your interactions with people by enough days that you, if you did get infected, this disease is so much more infectious. We haven't got it in our head just how infectious this crazy virus is, um, and it's really kind of un unfortunate. Um, and and I think we, you know, the, my parting thought is we need to get the vaccine out to the developing world 
uh, in the poor countries because uh, that's in everyone's best interests. And Canada should lead the way in donating the money or the vaccine or both uh, uh, to the developing countries and get rid of the patents so that uh, these companies uh, can have their product made in other in other uh, countries that need it. Uh, we aren't all safe to we're all vaccinated. So I 100% I agree with all that. And really, I mean, my my departing thoughts, I, I say this a lot, use common sense and, and make smart choices, right? So just because things are within the rules does not mean that we have to do them. So just because we technically can ga gather with nine other friends and be within the rules doesn't mean that we should be doing that. So please make smart choices, uh, only gather with vaccinated individuals, those that are eligible to be vaccinated and try to keep your cohorts small. So, you know, two to three families at a time and really try to separate the, the gatherings out and, and use rapid tests liberally. Uh, and then of course, if you have any symptoms, like even the slightest scratch in your throat, a little bit of a runny nose that you might kind of just brush off to allergies or the dry, dry Alberta air, don't ignore them, stay home uh, and, and get tested just so that we can try our best to protect everybody over the holiday season. And I would say get boosted as soon as you can, get everybody who you know boosted who is eligible. Be kind to pharmacists that you might encounter. They are quite overwhelmed at the moment. Um, and just to encourage the family members who might be thinking, oh great, now I don't have to get vaccinated because I can mingle with my vaccinated family members just because they're allowed to come over, you don't have to let them come over. It's okay to set boundaries, even though it's legal, that you your household rule is that only vaccinated people can come over. I'll send your aunt to me and I'll fight with her if you want. Like you don't have to let unvaccinated family members come to your gathering just because it is technically allowed now. That is a very reasonable boundary to set and I encourage you to set it. Um, if you have grandchildren, leverage them to get your parents vaccinated. Um, you know, but it is it is okay to tell family members that you will not be gathering with them if they're unvaccinated. That is a reasonable choice to make yeah. for yourself and one of the best things you can do for yourself on multiple levels, <laughs> sanity-wise, public health-wise, just a good choice all around. It falls really nicely into present number one, that Dr. Zoutman's um, mentioned. Um, we can add, if you're not getting yourself vaccinated, treat yourself to only associating with those who are at the moment. <laughs> As always, this topic is... Oh, there we go. As always, yeah, this topic is much too large for us to discuss um, in an hour. And I thank you all for joining us. And thanks again for tuning in. We plan to return on January 5th, 2022. Um, but with the evolving situation and the uncertainty around Omicron growth and the ongoing cases of Delta that are in Alberta, Pop AB may have to pop up before then. Um, a year ago, when preparing for my first COVID Christmas, vaccine approvals were underway. Rollout was beginning in the various places across the globe. Alpha was getting ready to make it into our lexicon and hope and fear were swirling in my mind simultaneously. They seem to have been my companions for pretty much all of 2021. I need to acknowledge that my fear has been fed by inadequate policies, inconsistent public health messaging, and minimizing evidence, and putting capitalism over sustainability and safety. I am not a lockdown advocate. I am a transparency advocate. And I have to acknowledge that that hope that I feel comes from all of you. Every single human who has tuned into a briefing, been on a panel, or worked tirelessly behind the scenes. Every individual who had joined us in the test, trace, and isolate rallies, and every other advocacy group that has helped keep Albertans informed and fight for life-saving policies. My hope is fueled by the Protect Our Province movements that are appearing all over the country. My hope is fueled by the over 230 media consultations the Pop AB Coalition members undertook during the latter half of 2021. Every meeting with a government agency or representative, every meeting with a workplace or a school board that has reached out just asking for help to deepen their understanding of how to keep Albertans safe. They fill me with hope. 
this organically cultivated community that is filled with diverse talents and skill sets makes me believe in joy. It reminds me that there is still goodness in the world and that citizens want to keep each other safe. We've experienced so much loss and suffering since we first heard of this novel virus. In Alberta alone, we've confirmed almost 340,000 cases and lost almost 3,300 family members. On December 15th, 2022, we had only had 84,597 cases and 760 deaths. As of yesterday, we had 339,000 cases. 541 cases, and 3,283 deaths. So another 2,523 of our fellow Albertans who won't get to gather for this holiday season. So when you celebrate this year, take a moment to reflect on where we've been and where we could go. And I hope that you choose the hope over the fear. The hope that comes when society comes together and chooses to keep each other safe. My hope that exists this year because of all of you. So from all of us at Pop AB, happy holidays. Stay safe, Alberta. And as always, remember, COVID-19 is airborne. Wear the best mask you have access to. Respirators make excellent stocking stuffers. And vaccines really do save lives. 